Once again, it's just honestly so nice to have so many voices uh, singing together, and I appreciate everybody who uh, participated so heartfully in the worship service this morning so far. And thank you to those who led us so that we could do so. Uh, to Craig with his uh, the songs that he led us in this morning, um, I, I like the the songs that you choose, um, and I like the new one that we were working on this morning as well. Um, I don't know how many of you had heard that one before, but he said, what do you think of this song? I said, well, looking at it, I think musically we can handle it. It's the kind of song this group usually just just takes care of. And you didn't disappoint. Um, and then Seth as well with the, the talk for the Lord's Supper and the, the 1.2 talks for the giving. Um, some of you have known Seth you know, for a number of years. I have not. Um, and if you're like me, then perhaps just now is the first time you actually saw his face without the face mask on. And I say that because Thursday we got together for breakfast and I walked into the restaurant where we were supposed to meet and started scanning the room, saw him, just kept on scanning. Had no idea what he looked like without the face mask on. Couldn't recognize him at all. Thankfully, he sees, you know, my horrendous mug up here once a week at least. So he, he knew what I looked like. Um, and we, we, we were able to eat at the same table. In my Bible, I've opened to Luke chapter 5, and I would like to invite you to do the same. Luke chapter 5. This morning, what I'd like for us to do is look at several cases, five to be exact, in the Gospel of Luke, where we see Luke contrasting two sets of people and contrasting their response to the Lord. This is something of a common theme within Luke's gospel. He seems to like portraying two sets of people encountering Jesus in order to show you the choice that is to be made. And all of these examples have some common elements, and we're going to try to draw, um, draw them together here in just a few minutes. So in Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 27... The text tells us, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. From Luke chapter 5, verse 17 to Luke chapter 6, verse 11, we have some five events, five incidences where Jesus is in conflict with the Pharisees. Um, this account here talks about the call of Levi, who we all better know as Matthew, to be his disciple. And as we are first introduced to Matthew, we're told, as you saw, that he's a tax collector. Tax collectors are unexpectedly displayed quite positively when you go throughout the Gospel of Luke. Um, if all you have was the gospel of Luke and you read about tax collectors there, you might think they were, they were pretty nice people back in the first century world. They were not. Matthew was a traitor. Matthew was collecting taxes for the Romans. It's about the same idea as if a country comes in, takes over ours, begins to demand an exorbitant tax from all of us. And then someone, you know, a local begins to work for them 
and starts harassing you for money to give to them. Imagine how popular someone like that would not be. But not only were tax collectors traitors, they were often also thieves. You may remember from the story of Zacchaeus, whom we only read about in Luke's Gospel, um, that when Zacchaeus decides he's going to follow Jesus, he says, Lord, half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, he's not saying, you know, if by chance I may have, he means anyone that I've defrauded of anything, I will restore it fourfold, which might give you an idea as to the means that he's garnered uh, to his possession. So tax collectors, they were notorious for taking more tax money than they should, giving Rome the amount that she demanded and then pocketing the rest. And here is Matthew, a tax collector who follows Jesus. So someone who was a traitor, who was perhaps also a thief, and he abandons all of that and follows Jesus. It is sometimes very surprising to see who is willing to follow Christ, just as Levi leaves everything to follow him. And what Levi then does is throws a large banquet and invites his new friend Jesus, his new teacher, to meet all of his old friends. And of course, a tax collector's friends are very likely going to be other tax collectors and other dregs of society. So as they're with Jesus and they're eating with Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes are appalled at this. How dare this man, who pretends to be a holy man, who says that we are not holy, how dare he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, it's because I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Pharisees believed that the sinners were lost and they were to be avoided. Jesus believed sinners were lost and they were to be saved. So that's one example, one contrast. Levi, especially, his fellow tax collectors, and then the Pharisees here. Moving then on into Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, the gospel there says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So Jesus is invited to the home of this Pharisee. We find out his name is Simon. Um, it was typical in that part of the world, even though this sounds honestly quite bizarre to me. If you had an important guest, you would leave your home open to others who, who wanted to come in and listen to the conversation. Now, back then, you didn't have, you know, the airtight windows, the air conditioner going, and suddenly you open up all the doors and in comes all the heat. Heat's coming in anyway. So the house is pretty much already a good bit open. But they would open up the gates and do whatever else might be done. You know, they're not putting a balloon out on the mailbox, but whatever to let people know that we're having an important dinner here. And as the house is left open, others could come on in. And someone whom Simon couldn't have dreamed would do so comes into the house. This sinful woman. Considering Luke's typical usage of that phrase, 
Her being described as a sinful woman seems likely what he's talking about is someone who was a prostitute by trade. So she's a, a very immoral woman. But she's obviously been progressing in her understanding of, of immorality and what she needs to do to be right with her maker. And when she sees Jesus, she is overcome. She begins to weep so much so that she can wet his feet with her tears and she dries them with her own hair. How, I don't quite know, but Simon isn't impressed with this display of, of remorse and regret. And as you probably remember, he thinks to himself, you know, if this man were a prophet, he'd know who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. Make her stop. That she's a sinner. And the next thing that happens, this is one of my favorite stories, is, is Jesus answers his thought. So Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Which of them do you suppose will love him more? He said, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus goes on to say, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 is probably one of the best known chapters in all the Gospels. Um, so you'll remember how the scene opens. How the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him as they want to do. And as they want to do, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled about it. Saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They really hung up on this. And because of that, Jesus tells them three parables. You recall the one with the shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray. The woman who has ten coins and one of those goes missing. And then finally the father with two boys and one turns his back on him. In each of those cases, when what was lost is found, there is celebration. As in the previous parables with the, the lost sheep and the lost coin, when those were found, there is also celebration when the lost son is found, except by the older brother. He hears the music, he, hears, he recognizes there's, there's a celebration going on, and he reacts quite poorly. When the servants tell him, your brother's been found and the family is celebrating, he becomes jealous, he refuses to go. So his father comes out and tries to reason with him, but he says, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And you'll remember the father's reaction. Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But my son was dead. And now he's alive. He's lost and now he's found. And he's inviting the older brother, brother to, to join 
in the celebration. More on that in a moment. Fourth case for you is in Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14, Jesus tells another parable. It's not very often that Luke states the purpose of Jesus' parable. We, we have it there in Luke 15. And then here in Luke 18, he actually does twice. Um, in verse 9, the text says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. A number of writers uh, are fond of quoting someone else that said the Pharisee glances at God but focuses long and hard upon himself. He glances at God, but focuses on himself. And it seems almost as if he's congratulating God that he's so blessed to have a servant like him. I thank you that I am not like others. Even this tax collector here, completely oblivious to what is actually going on in this tax collector's heart and mind who standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And one more case for you. In Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Meaning you're about to die. And this is the kind of stuff you're saying? And we're here justly. For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So, common kind of thing in Luke's writing to, to find contrasted two groups. Um, as, as they look at themselves and then as they look at others. And as they encounter Jesus, and then Jesus' response to them. How might we link some of these cases together? The link is in how the two characters are similar across each event. So I want you to think about this. In Luke chapter 5, you've got Levi and those other tax collectors standing opposed to the Pharisees and the scribes. In Luke 7, you've got the sinful woman in contrast to Simon the Pharisee. In Luke 15, you've got the prodigal son who stands in contrast to the older brother. Um, and really the prodigal son is standing in place for the, the sinners and the tax collectors. And the older brother is standing in place for the Pharisees. In Luke 18, the tax collector stands opposed to the Pharisee who's congratulating God on how good of a Jew he's turned out to be. And then you've got the, the one thief on the cross who exhibits faith and respect for Jesus and his deity, contrasted with the other one who just exhibits disrespect. 
So in each of these cases, you've got two characters that, that line up in similarity with the two characters of the other events. And what you see shared in common is how on the one side, you have those who know their sin. Who recognize their sin. And then on the other side, you've got those who don't realize it. For whatever reason, for different reasons, they fail to appreciate it. And they don't understand that they stand guilty before God. Simon the Pharisee, for his part, can't believe Jesus would actually let such a sinful woman come anywhere near him. But Jesus, in that simple parable, says, Simon, I want to ask you something. Let's say you've got two people who owe money to a lender. And he stresses in the parable, neither of them is able to repay it. Neither of them could. Not just the one who owed a lot more. Neither of them could. So it is likely true that this sinful woman's uh, list of sins is much longer than Simon's. She probably lived most of her life, or at least the last several years, in abject disregard for everything God has said. Probably not worrying about all the other different requirements of the law if you're willing to live that kind of lifestyle. While on the other hand, Simon has lived much of his life extremely conscious of, of not just holiness, but then even um, uh, ceremonial purity. So he's going above and beyond more than likely. Yet what he doesn't understand is that even if he's the one who just owes 50 denarii, in contrast to her 500, both of them owe a debt they're unable to repay. And what this parable shows us is that a person's love for God sometimes can be to a large degree dependent, or is, excuse me, to a large degree dependent, on the extent to which they recognize they've been forgiven. If I understand that I owe God an unrepayable debt, then I'm going to recognize that I've been shown mercy in being forgiven. And naturally, I hope I would be appreciative of that. The older brother, the Pharisees and the scribes said, you're eating with a sinner. Obviously, they don't view themselves in that group. The older brother said, I've been serving you for many years. I've never neglected your command. <laughs> Parents, you got of all your kids, you love them, they're great. Any one of them ever never neglected your command? Uh, the truthfulness of that statement could be challenged. I recognize this is a parable, but you also think about the Pharisees and their stance. They're the ones living right. They're the ones doing right while well, you got these heathens over here. Never neglected their parents' instruction. We're here with you always. Our focus is right where it should be. I wonder if some of that's not in the background. The parallel to the reality of the Pharisees. And they're not always on the mark. Focus on things. Remember, this older brother represents the Pharisees from verses 1 and 2. And he's so bold as to say, I've never failed to follow your instruction. I've never neglected your command. Foolish. Or the Pharisee who says, God, I thank you that I am not like others, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I don't think he's being hypocritical. We've studied this parable before. It's been quite a while. 
This idea of praying to God and thanking Him that, that you are not living your life in, in sinful ways, that in and of itself is not inherently sinful. But He's just blind. What's He think the tax collectors they're doing? Even like this guy. I suspect this parable means to picture him as meaning exactly what he says, but he doesn't understand his sin. And then the one thief who says to the other thief who's dying, don't you fear God? You're about to meet him? Don't you fear him? And and you and I are getting what we deserve, but this man's done nothing. If you happen to um, have, as we sometimes say, grown up in the church, it's not exactly a really accurate way to phrase things, but you've grown up always around the people of God, always being brought to worship. You've grown up around God and his teaching and his people. If you've pretty much always been a a decent Christian, um, sometimes because of all of that, it can be easy to forget that, that we too have blown it and badly. Sometimes it can be easy to kind of push to the back of our memories how many times we've done the wrong thing or how sometimes we've done the right thing for the wrong reason and not view myself As a sinner who's not only in need of God's grace as much as anybody else, but who is in the same desperate need of that mercy and grace. So I can I can only remember um, a couple of times as a kid ever missing services on a Sunday completely. Or really at all. Only like two or three times can I remember it whatsoever. And then it was only because we were sick. I mean, only ever. Not because of work. Not because of ball games. Those things were, were distant seconds at least. Services, Bible class, meetings, songs, uh, singings. All of them. Always. The couple of times that I was sick and didn't go to services, I can remember thinking how those times felt so odd to be home on a Sunday morning. It was just weird to be home on that day, and it felt weird all day long. We were always at services, always taught the difference between right and wrong. Um, When I was eight, I decided I needed to become a Christian. When I was a teenager, I was allowed to do invitations and finally got to deliver a couple of Lessons that I sure thought were going to be long and turned out to be about eight minutes, that kind of thing. When I went to, to college, I was blessed to have the opportunity to go to Florida College. Um, before that, to get to go to some of their camps and, and lead some of the devotional talks and lead some songs and things like that. Got to do a lot of that when I got down to FC. Um, to lead the talks and the singings and even, even a group of guys who were wanting to be preachers called the Sowers Club. Went to school to get a degree in biblical studies. Now I preach for a living. All of that can make it easy sometimes, perhaps, to forget just how profound of a sinner I am. 
I will say, uh, since college and getting out of college and single adulthood and married adulthood and parental adulthood, those experiences strung together seem to just bring repeated reminders of how bad you can mess things up, how many mistakes you really do make. Um, nothing like getting married and having kids to realize how little you actually have figured out and how right you always get it. But growing up, I knew I could sin. I live with myself every day. I, I know that I can, but I thought I was a pretty decent person. I don't think I took his mercy for, for, for granted. Sometimes the older you get, and the more you sin, hopefully, the clearer it becomes to you of just how desperately you right there along with anyone else need the mercy of God. No matter how many different advantages by the the blessing of godly parents some of us may have been given in this life. Um, We may have had a, a step up in being taught things earlier on and having those instilled hopefully by parents who lived those Whereas others had to go through the challenge of not always having those things in their life. But everybody is on, on level ground at the foot of the cross. And everybody is in profound need of that sacrifice, same as anyone else. Um, it has often been called for, and I don't think I often prayed it, Father, be merciful to me, the sinner. So all those different things that I listed for you, I I hope you understand I didn't list them so that you'll see me as something special. One, those experiences certainly aren't unique. And second, they they don't make someone special. But if you've been, quote unquote, raised in the church as I have, maybe perhaps we run this risk, especially of failing to appreciate just how much we're not just a sinner, we're the sinner. And falling into the same pitfall as those Pharisees did. Those, those profoundly religious people. Failing to realize that they too ought to fall weeping at Jesus' feet. That they too needed healing and cleansing from their sins just as much as anybody else. In fact, more so in a number of their cases. There is a, a hymn that I absolutely love. I think we've sung it here a few times before. Um, It just does such a perfect job of encapsulating uh, this, this thinking of pleading with God to be merciful to us for the sins that we've committed. I don't know the kind of week that you've had, but maybe some of your sins from this week are on your mind right now as we're talking about these things. Uh, And you know that you've had to pray to God for forgiveness, or maybe you, you've kind of been trying to ignore it and haven't done it. Um, So in a moment, I'll have some closing thoughts and an invitation for you. But I thought we might take a second and and sing this song. It's called Healing in Its Wings. Like I said, we've sung it here a few times before. Um, I imagine a number of you know this. There's, There's three verses to it. Oh, 
Father, I do sin, and my heart breaks deep within. For you have sought me, yet I turn away from all your loving care. So often do I fall, yet you reach out again, lifting my burden that is more than I can ever bear. Through your beloved Son, there is grace so undeserved. How can I ever sin against the one who makes my heart to sing? Create a heart so clean that like you Rises up with healing in its wings. My broken, contrite heart is so worthless in my sight, but you restore it, give it peace and joy to love and follow you. Oh, may I ever strive to live pure in your sight, filled with your goodness, free to glorify and I hope um, that either for the first time or for a renewal um, or continuing as you you, um, grow in faith that we all know full well and remember and appreciate and, and are daily mindful of the fact of how much we are lost without the mercy and grace of our God. I know none of us is sinful, but as far as I know, just about everybody here is a pretty decent person. I like all of you. Uh, You're likable people, I think. Um, And sometimes when you've got decent, good people, um, it can be easy to take more comfort in that than we ought to. And forget that the only reason we are any different than those who are lost in sin and risking their souls right now is because we have been granted the, the mercy of, of God's word and, and time to obey it. If you have acted out of an appreciation for that realization by becoming a Christian, 
then I hope this morning's lesson will help you to stay attentive and and never take that gift of forgiveness for granted. If you realize just how much you need God's mercy and you have not responded to his invitation yet, if you understand this morning that you have sinned and you have fallen short of God's glory, then it doesn't matter that someone else's list of wrongs is greater or lesser than yours. It makes no difference. It doesn't matter how overall of a decent human being you are. You've sinned. You've done wrong. And just like us all, you're deserving of God's judgment. And if you understand that, then I hope you're willing this morning to beg mercy from your Father and say, Lord, I am not worthy to be a son. Simply make me a servant. Even having gone through this lesson, I know that I can't properly wrap my head around what a thing it is to have forgiveness available to you and me in Jesus Christ. That he died for sinners. For people who understand their guilt and their sin and who come to him for mercy and they receive it. I hope this morning that that all of us are trying to get our minds wrapped around that. And I hope, especially if this is something that that you've not been appreciating in your life, that you'll realize you don't have a single good reason to continue doing that. To be so ungrateful when so much has been given. If you see your sin and are willing to repent of it and turn to him for forgiveness, he'll wash away all those sins. And he will not accept you back as a servant. He'll accept you back as his child. If you'll come, that's what you can have. And we'll get to, as they did in Luke chapter 15, celebrate that with you. I hope you'll give us cause to do that as well. Won't you come while we stand and sing?